Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt.
to hear if you're not here. We're right at the opening card spiel, which says, the events portrayed in this film are all true, the names of real people and real organizations. Yep, it's are all you, true. Are uh, you there? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay, and that right there should tell you how seriously they took the film. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll get ready in five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Yes, this is the first time that you're watching a comedy. And you said something about people were confused. Yes, it is a sequel, Fred. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When Laurel broke up after Night of the Living Dead was filmed, Romero got the rights to Night, Night, and Dawn. And John Russo and Rudy Ricci got the rights to Living Dead. Yep. It took them this long to get their sequel off of the floor. Now, we can get into, have you ever read uh, John Russo's treatment for Return of the Living Dead? I've got both versions. I got both novels. Yeah. And I it's not the film I would have wanted to see. It it looked more oh. like a Richard Matheson, Matheson's vampire story with cultists and stakes and I was just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> the opening to his version of the Return of the Living Dead had them staking each dead body through the skull. And right here is one of the greatest comedy duels that only did one great film together, and that's Tom Matthews and James Karen. Actually, no. They did Return of the Living Dead 2 together. I said good. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed that word good. <laughs> now, I'm a warehouse worker, and this is pretty much what training is like. You have a manager following you around, and he's telling you goofy stories of warehouse life as he's teaching you how to pack stuff. That's exactly how it is. So this is pretty true to how it is in a warehouse. You there? Hello? You still there? Hello? Darn it. Sorry, Fred, I got lost there for a second. That's all right, I'm still here. (laughs) But did you know that that actually was true, even though Dan O'Bannon didn't know about it when he wrote the joke? Oh, about the skeletons in India, yeah. Um, William Stout, the production designer, actually, before they stopped shipping out of India, 
he ordered a fetal skeleton for his then girlfriend from India. Yeah. So how horrifying is that, that you can get children's bones through the mail back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and from what I heard, uh, the poor bastard who played the zombie right here had ne- had a very, very stiff neck after filming this scene. Yeah, and this is terrifying because this makes you d- double think of your whole signing of um, – you know, donate your body to science because now you have yeah. the image in your head that you're going to be hung in a meat locker by hooks in your yeah. ears like you're a side of beef. <laughs> okay, here's the biggest change of all you little ones who've seen this on VHS. Right here is a song by The Damned. If you've watched it in theaters or on the HBO VHS. What happened was maybe a year, maybe it's two or three years, well, it was about four or five years. How many years after this movie came out did the damned decided that they wanted each other dead and broke up and the rights issues went straight to hell? It was um right before the DVD release, which is why the DVDs didn't have the, because um, some of your VHS copies had the song. And then the DVD releases didn't. But that's not the song, part with the dance song. The part with the dance song was at the uh, car scene with Suicide, driving them to the oh. uh, Unita warehouse. Yeah, that I'm song's actually that. correct. That's the tall boy. That's, um, what's it called? Uh, nothing for you. Oh, uh, what band is that? I got nothing for that's, you. That's TSOL. Um, yeah, nothing for you, yeah. so... And here is a hilarious little bit where he talks about how George Romero trolled, but when it comes to the true story of Night of the Living Dead, the U.S. government forced him to change all the facts around. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) So this was the biggest nod to Night of the Living Dead and Romero. Yes. But Romero has said, and I do agree, because they released Return of the Living Dead so close to Day of the Living Dead, and like you said, they got confused. They fucked each other's box office. Yeah. Yeah. And But Dan O'Bannon, I just wanted to bring up, said he didn't want to go into Romero's territory. That's why he made his zombies run. That's why they eat brains, not just flesh, and that's why they think. Because he said, George Romero is the master of what he does. I wanted to do my own thing. Now, when he brings up the chemical here, 2,4,5-trioxin, I actually looked it up, and I have an old chemical chemistry book. 2,4,5-trioxin was actually a real chemical developed by the military for warfare. So you could, people can look that one up online. That's a real chemical. I don't know how Dan O'Bannon knew it back then, but it's a real he chemical, 2,4,5-trioxin. <laughs> Remember, he hung, before he was uh, the guy who wrote Alien and stuff in uh, Dark Star, he was a guy who was getting stoned with uh, John Carpenter out in Texas when they were in filmmaking school. True, true, yeah. I'm sure they were exchanging a lot of stories. <laughs> but, yeah, when I first seen this, this is when it really hooked me. I mean, I was like... I was going to be like, oh, God, I'm going to be scared. And then I was like, hey, this is actually funny. (laughs) 
Well, the, the the one thing about the comedy in this, it's not slapstick. It's situation comedy that's almost yeah. uncomfortable. Like, yeah. where Return of the Living Dead 2 failed was they made it like the Three Stooges, where they're falling over, they're bumping yeah. into shit. And you can't make the monsters funny. Right. So they kept the zombies in the situation series. What was funny was their reactions without it being cornball. Now, I love how um, O'Bannon, I mean, it's really dated in the 80s and um, and beautifully done. Like, in the background, you see, like, Nixon posters. The, this was a whole Reaganomics era. Uh-huh. You know, the fear of the Rus- Russians and military secrets and the canisters in the basement were from the military, from the 245 triaxin cell. You know, it's beautifully done like that. Oh, and what's funny is you seen that phone number on the tank, Fred? Yes. When the movie first came out, if you called that number, you would get a military asking um, uh, a recorded phone call of a military guy asking you if you know where these tanks were. <laughs> oh, that's great. Talk about like prom- promotion before the internet. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. Are these tanks going to break? Hell no, it's the goddamn U.S. government Corps of Engineers. Crack. <laughs> of course it leaks. Now, this was an accident. When they show the corpse melting, oh, there! I just wanted to bring up that Return of the Living Dead logo. They uh-huh. actually admit it. They stole that from Ralph Steadman, an artist who did a lot of work for, um, you know, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He did all the artwork for yeah. those, those books, and they – were so inspired by his artwork, they used his um, style to do the credits. Oh, and this song right here was one of the biggest reasons that us who are fans of this movie were pissed off when we got the fucking soundtrack back in 1985. Yeah, it's not on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, I love the soundtrack. Like, yeah, we're like, where the fuck is the fucking, you know, the, the song in the movie? <laughs> This is one of those cases where you have to go to a convention and get a bootleg. Yeah, no, I have it. I have the original promo picture disc vinyl with the naked Linnea Quigley on the back and zombies on the front, and I have the uh, compact disc that was released. Yeah. Here's why they didn't use a dummy during that scene, because this is what Dan O'Man wanted. Yep. He said (laughs) it came out perfect with just one take. Now, what made this even harder for the actor was Dan O'Bannon insisted on yellow smoke. The only way you can get yellow smoke is to burn sulfur. So that man was trapped under a bag with sulfur smoke pouring over his face. Now, if anybody lit a match and held it under their nose, that's sulfur. (laughs) Yeah. Or if you had yellow-colored smoke bombs when you were kids. Which was the same ingredient. Smoke, uh, sulfur. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's the famous uh, Colonel Glover scene, which and I love now it on the because bo- they have like they're keeping it real 4 a.m. Pacific yeah. time, you know. <laughs> yeah, like this is a documentary rather than a horror film. <laughs> yeah, they're keeping it real. I love it because everybody in this movie's a grouchy asshole. I love that touch. Yeah. Now, anybody that's familiar with the work print, there's supposed to be a famous scene. Where the, gov- where the colonel goes into his little studio 
and makes himself a drink. Why that made such a big deal, why people were like, oh, you got to get the work print to see him dr- have a drink. I'm like, uh, okay, he had a drink. Who cares? <laughs> you know? The work print is on the Shop Factory disc, and yes. the only really big change that I feel is worth a shit is missing. And well, again, it has the original the ending. Right. Yeah, the music. But it has that original ending, which we'll talk about when it comes up. But Yeah, and what's missing is originally Linnea Quigley, and I don't know how they got it to match, how they got fucking Vanity Six's nasty girl to match up with Tonight We're Gonna Dance Until We Die. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't know how they did that either. And the reason what's important is because right here he just walks out of the room, and then all of a sudden he's got a fucking drink in his hand out of nowhere. The work print actually has 22 minutes of dialogue. So anyone that's like, a, you know, wants to know, like, all the little intricacies of them speaking, you know, Fred, you know, the relationship between Freddie and um, uh, James Karen's character, Frank, you know, there's a lot more of that in it, of them joking around. and Yeah. It's easy to wait, get. Wait. Just get the two disc tartan like Fred's getting or uh, yeah. here's the chain song. And yes, seems, so when, and, when Colonel Glover says they could be anywhere, you heard a laugh, and then it goes into the damn song. And on the MGM DVD, the laugh is there, but then it goes into this Stray Dog song, which is actually called, um, oh, what is it? Uh, damn, Young Fast Iranians. So it goes into I this song, this which isn't even a guy here. Suicide is one of my favorite yeah. characters in a fucking movie. Yeah, Mark oh, and Venturini. I've been there, where that yeah, train crossing is. It's one of the few locations in Louisville they did film. Yes. Now that scene, and then so on the MGM um, release, it ends with the damn song. So it starts with the damn the damn song, ends with the damn song, but they cut out the song song part and put in Straw Dogs, and now on this version, it's still Straw Dogs. So to actually have the original version, you have to get the UK DVD to have the complete, you know, version For of the film. That the original, if your VHS says HBO yeah. on it, then you've got the uncut version. Yeah, but some of the, you have to be careful which VHS you have because some of the VHS versions, the Colonel Glover scene of him coming home with that whole little discussion talking about they could be anywhere is cut out. Yeah. There are certain VHS releases Cemetery. that don't have that scene. Yeah, I love that they, name, the Resurrection Cemetery. Yeah, and I look at the graffiti, I see the Dead Kennedys, I see Blast, all these punk bands that I grew up listening to, yeah. which is why this movie was so important to me when I was 14, because I was like, holy shit, this is actually representing my culture. Because every 80s film up until then, every time they showed punkers, there were always these so. cartoony yeah, they were they were cartoony characters. They were basically football players with a mohawk running around still acting like jerk offs. Yeah. This actually and is were, how and all of the music was East Coast punk. Yeah. This is the first one that was hardcore West Coast. This is yeah. a lot first time a lot of us heard Rokey Erickson, uh a lot of us the cramps, uh forty five yeah. graves. 
See, and they were all bands that I already knew. And that song he just played was the Flesh Eaters, Eyes Without a Face, yeah. which I love that song. Flesh Eaters are great. Yeah, there's uh, Nixon the in the background. soundtrack of the 80s. Anyone who fights me on that, I'll just, I'll go punk on their ass. <laughs> well, like I said, like, when I was a young punk kid, I would always get disappointed whenever there was punks in movies because they were always deemed as, you know, goofballs. They were the um, butt of the jokes. This is the first movie hey, where they were main it. characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James Caron is great. He, he oh, the yeah. Pathmark man. James and Tom Matthew are just so beautiful together. Yeah, and they were actually shocked by Tom Matthews because he actually, um, this was his first movie, and they said he was acting like he was a veteran already. And he has said he acted like that because he was scared shitless. And there's yeah. so many <laughs> jokes in here that you couldn't see until the DVD. Like all those signs over there. Yeah. Well, the famous one is the Bert is a slave driving, <laughs> you know, which is yeah, the office scene. Here we go. Bert is a slave driving. Yeah. Oh. Oh, Lysol, Lysol. actually. <laughs> Lysol actually allowed them to do this because they were like, we love the idea that Lysol can actually get rid of the smell of decaying flesh. So, yes, please use our product. <laughs> <laughs> And the famous uh, Garner uh, split dogs are coming up. I I watched it with one person who got horrified and disgusted because of the split dogs. <laughs> it was and this is when the movie won well me over because of how hilarious it was he was hitting that poor damn split yeah. dog with the Oh, look at that. Anatomically correct split dog. You know what Dan O'Bannon wanted him to hit it with, but the producers said it had to be something bigger. <laughs> he wanted what? him to hit the dog with a bedpan. Oh, jeez. <laughs> See, that's going that into the slapstick. That's a great shot. The uh, forced, you know, zoom in on yeah. it. The spatial soup zoom in. Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> oh, and... Uh, a lot of James Karen and Tom Matthews' dialogue are improvised. Yeah. Those were the butterflies on the um, card there were cutouts. Huh? William Stout actually took a, a magazine, a book, cut them out, and then put a fan on it. So, But it yeah. looks like, there it is, Bert is a slave driving, cheap son of a bitch. <laughs> is a cheap son of a bitch <laughs> who's got... I can't read the rest. My eyes are bad. <laughs> so, yeah, the the split dogs were done by um, Kenny Myers. Who oh, was and a, who's got a this, small dick, too. Ha, ha. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got a small dick, too. So, Kenny oh, Myers. That Only He bald. was actually. Oh, yeah, he's going bald. He was brought on because of, and I hate to bring this up, Bill Munns, who failed them. You know, because he did you ever see the photos of the original Yellow Man? Yeah. Yeah, that was Bill Munns, which got that got him fired. And they brought on Kenny Myers and Craig Carton and Howard Burt. Howard Burger actually from K and B sculpted the head. This was early before K and B even existed. 
Yeah. Oh, and here's the scene where a lot of uh, underage boys hit puberty. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hit puberty when this happens. <laughs> yeah. I think my voice deepened this, at this scene, and uh, I grew some uh, hairs on my chin. <laughs> I just love the way they say it. I love how casual he is about this. He don't yeah. give a fuck. And this is our second favorite performance of his during of this year. Yeah, uh, Return of, I mean, uh, Friday 13th 5 he was in. Yeah. Oh, these she goddamn was burritos. <laughs> no goddamn enchiladas. I love it. Crash is getting yes. naked again. Okay, now it's hard to focus on Chuck, but you see him pick up her shirt and smell it. And then in a minute, when you see her take her pants off or her shorts, look at his face. He actually looks at Dan O'Bannon because he didn't know she was going to become fully naked. Yeah. Watch, watch. Watch Chuck right in the the left-hand side. Look at his face. And then he looks back at the camera. He's yeah. looking at Dan O'Bannon like, like, is she supposed <laughs> to do that? Not, how many often did they use a Miguel Nunez going, yeah, yeah. in the <laughs> fucking trailer? Now, you got to kind of feel bad for Linnea Quigley because they made her wear a plug. They didn't glue a piece over her crotch. They made a plug for her to insert. So she's basically wearing a, a dildo the entire time co- with an end piece that covered her privates. Oh, that wasn't the worst part. Well, first they made her shave down, and then the producer was like, no, that's horrible. You can't do that. Yeah, remember back in 1985, shaved, uh, shaved pussy was still <laughs> in the pervert section. Yeah, no, it was, this this movie um was there was no full frontal nudity back then except if you were watching a porno. So this this actually broke ground. <laughs> and uh it was maybe 40 to 50 degrees in that ice cold rain day film when the rain starts. Yeah. So this proves that she's a tough I love that. They're talking about all these clinical tools, and he comes back with a fucking... <laughs> pickaxe. <laughs> a fire pickaxe. <laughs> yeah. I love how yeah, much he shows how much of a coward bird he is. Come on, <laughs> just do it. I'm going back all the fuck away over here. <laughs> Again, we're, as a warehouse worker, this is management. You know, whatever horrible job you don't want to do, you pass it on to your lowers. You give it to your guys yeah. to do it. So he's going to stay in the back and let his workers do it. They yeah, got him a union brave, member. Right? <laughs> and there's a, oh, they already showed a bruising. I didn't yeah. notice that before. But the best, there's one line from the work print cut from here they should have kept. But that would have took it into Romero territory. Yeah. In the work yeah. print right here, uh, Bert says, God damn it, he bit me. The stupid son of a bitch bit me. Yeah. And if you're watching Romero, and here comes one of the top ten lines <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> and one of the most classic lines from the movie. Yeah. Uh, the brain, the brain. I had the fucking brain. Brains. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> yep. Wait, wait. Here it comes. You mean the movie lied? <laughs> <laughs> now that severed head was done by an early KMB member, you know, Howard Berger, before KMB yeah. was even a thought. Like they had to bring in all all because Bill Munns, and I hate to shit on the guy because he's been shit on for like how many decades now because he got fired from this. But he did a horrible job, and they had to bring in, like, three other people to do what he should have done from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, Munn was a fuck-up. There's just no way about it. Yeah. So, luckily, they brought in some actual competent guys, and one of them had to be, like, what, a 19-year-old kid? You know, yeah. Who did better than him? Yeah. They're lucky, too, that Day of the Dead was being made because some of this stuff was like, we got any shit left over from Day of the Dead? Yeah, grab it. Yeah. <laughs> it worked in the movie. <laughs> you mean the movie lied? <laughs> yeah. But see, I like how they keep the Night of the Living Dead connection, but it's not a Night of the Living Dead sequel, sort of. Yeah. Well, basically, when Dan O'Bannon came on, he... uh Gutted the script, thank God. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, um, who was it? It was Tom Fox, I believe, was the one that, yeah, Tom Fox read the script and was like, this is horrible. So he's the one that brought on Dan O'Bannon and said, hey, you know, can you take a shot at this? And Dan O'Bannon read it and said, yeah, I, I'm not going to make this well, movie. Well, actually, no. Uh, Toby Hooper was uh, originally supposed to direct it. But I, I wonder. It, and he brought in uh, Dan O'Bannon to touch the script up. And That's when he right, left yeah. this to do uh, his uh, triple script for, you know, his triple, his three films for canon. Yeah. He said, Dan, make this your first film as director. Yeah, which he gutted it and wrote this beautiful script that with a story that you can't beat. <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching the movie. <laughs> this movie's just yeah. too good to just ignore. Day of the Dead yeah, is movies. good, but it's not something you can just pop in and casually watch. This one you can pop in and casually watch anytime and say oh, yeah. your and, favorite lines and laugh. Yeah. Now, this is another scene where the work print has extra scenes of them going from crypt to crypt, looking inside and seeing, like, beer cans and garbage. Yeah. So they're actually walking around oh, the creepy-ass cemetery. Get this underlined. The oh, yeah. one who played uh, the valley girl. Yeah. No one liked her. Literally. Oh, no. Uh, Be- uh, Beverly Randolph, everyone loved her. It was um Jewel they couldn't stand. Jewel Shepard, who plays Casey, they said she was the problem on the set that Brian Peck actually yelled at her and made her cry, saying, stop bringing right everyone here, down. Right here. It's actually oh, yeah. on screen right here. Yep. Fuck her you, rubbing his crotch. <laughs> you fucking and what's ball sad is that he committed, uh, they didn't know it until they tried to get extras for the DVD, but he committed, here's the first time this, this is the only scene where the, they fucked up the continuity. Because they don't leave for the crematorium maybe five minutes, you know? Yeah. Oh, and... Yeah, and they show them... Oh. It's not saying the word script, but if you read the original script, he's a Nazi. 
a former Nazi from World War II. Yes. Well, his name is Ernie Kaltenbrenner, who was a real high-ranking Nazi who was hanged in 1946 at Nuremberg. So he's named after yeah. a real Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> you got to love Cop- that, you know, the details he put he into was, this. He uh, 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 Obama was shocked how how fucking balls deep Don Coughlin went in this role because he dyed yeah. his hair white for the role. And shaved his mustache, and his hair never came back black. Yeah. Okay, now if you look in the background, you see two Nazis playing cards in an old advertisement, and on the left-hand side is a picture of Ava Braun, Hitler's wife or girlfriend. And <laughs> if you notice, the gun he pulled out was a Luger. Yes. <laughs> no, it's a P-32. Yeah, it's actually a P-32. German. I mean, it's still a Nazi gun, yes. <laughs> it's a Nazi. I mean, so he, he named him after a real Nazi who was actually hung in October 16th, 1946. So it's the perfect month to watch this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he's a mortician carving up bodies because, you know, that's what Nazis yeah. do. <laughs> and, and you see the black uh, trench coat. The that comes the from here where when he's putting the bodies in there. Yes. Like, God, you're good at using that oven. He's like, well, I had experience before. (laughs) Yeah. Now, that bruise on the side of the corpse, Dan O'Bannon did that. Dan O'Bannon, they said, was was also himself a good effects artist and an artist himself of the draw. So, I mean, that's what makes this movie so, like, visually stunning is you had an entire crew of artists working on this film. It wasn't just a bunch of people who said, oh, let's – no, we could we could throw some putty on there. It'll look fine. No, these are artists making well, this movie, so that's why. Well, if he didn't good now, it wouldn't have paid off later when certain things happen. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> another great thing about the movie is how they set up things that pay off. Yeah, and here's a little uh, comedic joke. You got Bert and Ernie two <laughs> from Sesame Street. Yeah, Bert two and characters. Ernie. <laughs> and then later you'll have two other uh, cartoon characters on the screen. So, but right now we have oh, Bert and Ernie. One of the movies after I seen it after it hit VHS, I this was like I was like a drug dealer for this. Man, you got to try this shit. No, man, yeah. no, you got to try this shit. <laughs> and even a lot of people didn't like horror films. Love this yeah. movie. Oh, Fuck you! There me. it is. Fuck you! <laughs> which, which for the edited television version said television version across the back. So they actually had the yeah. film scenes with him changing his jacket. And what's sad is that version doesn't seem to be to exist anymore. The one you see on TV no. nowadays, it just has a blur. Yeah. Over Rabbit his weasels. So I actually got to meet Don Calvin. I got his autograph, and of course, on the photo of him that I got autographed, he wrote "Rabid Weasels." <laughs> yeah, he's one of those that loved his fans, but yeah, a lot of these guys have been working many years before this. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Clue Gallagher there was um, a, a famous cowboy actor. He was in all the old yeah. Hollywood westerns, and you had um. James Cameron, I mean, his career goes back how many guy. decades? Yeah, the Pathmark guy, and he was also yeah, in Poltergeist. Yeah, he said he, walked, he watched this man in Jersey, 
and he was, and he's like, people in the audience are like, what the fuck is the Passmark guy doing in this motherfucker? <laughs> they always knew him for, you move the bodies, but you left the headstones. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's weird how we had this mix of new talent who really, yeah. Joel Shepard, James Karen, uh, Linnea Quigley. Yeah. Tom Matthews. And- and then they you had a bunch of veterans. like kings of the B-movie scene within a couple of years, you know. Miguel Nunez, too. Yeah, Miguel, he was homeless when he made this film. He was living on the streets. And this yeah. film actually got him off the streets. And this was his own clothes. Yeah. Well, her, um, Beverly, the, the valley chick, that was his outfit. She was wearing his outfit. <laughs> and I guess, you know, back in the 80s, that I guess that could have made sense. <laughs> yeah, you know how ambisexual, how, as the joke says, everything was yeah. gay in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> it was all ambisexual and stuff, you know. Yeah. Girls will be, boys will be. Girls, yeah. So this scene but I here, love how that sort of hints that his legs going to get fucked up later in the movie. One, his pants gets ripped, and two, yeah. the zombie claps his leg. This was improv right here. Well, yeah. after this, where he just waits. He just cuts the pants legs off and makes them wait. And if you notice behind him was the picture of Ava Braun. There she is, yeah. Jewel Shepard. That was the one that no one on set got along with. She got hired because Dan O'Bannon was famous for going into strip clubs. He hung out at strip clubs. And she was yeah. one of the strippers, and he gave her a script to be in the movie. And she was originally thought she was going to be doing Linnea's scene, you know, getting naked on Tombstone. She ended up being one of the punk chicks. There's and the Linnea scene did where the he script. made her cry. Yeah. That scene was um, different. Uh, he didn't say "fuck you, ball buster." He actually originally called her a chocolate face, which made no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was about that was that was his clothes. So she's wearing his clothes that she's walking away with. Oh, and no one behind the scene liked her because how timid she was. Dan O'Bannon well, was yeah. yelling at her, walk faster, walk faster, god damn it. The sun yeah, he would grab her and push her and say, go this way. <laughs> yeah. She was bad at taking stage direction. Yeah. I mean, everybody loved her because she was sweet, but she was not a good actress. He was cute, but dumber than shit. Yeah. <laughs> she was exactly... She was exactly how she's portrayed on the screen. She was that timid, valley little girl. How the you fuck need a medical supply. They had this, her, Tom had this uh, big thing where it said that they met in a club and Tom Senior is an easy piece of ass. <laughs> and that once they screwed, he fell in love with her. Yeah. And the only reason he got this job is because of her. Yeah. Well, Beverly Randolph, she had to do a reading with Dan. So she was told to go to his house to do the reading, which she, you know, red flag. She was scared. She said the story goes by her um, memory was she walked in. There was a gun on the table. And then Dan's in the kitchen telling her, oh, sit down, sit down. 
she goes to sit down. She notices there's a porno playing on the TV. So there's a gun sitting in front of her and a porno playing on the TV. She said she immediately got up and said, I have to go and ran out. And she almost lost the role because she thought she was going to get killed and raped. Yeah. And if you want to know more fucked up Dan O'Bannon stories, look for who's the guy that directed uh, Bride of Rihanna, Brian Usna. Look in the archives yes, for yes. our Brian Usna te- te- store uh, episode, and he tells more fucked up tales about Dan O'Bannon, like uh, how he went to get how he went to his house in California at Christmas time, and Dan O'Bannon had Christmas music blasting in every room. And the air conditioner set down to 40 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon, um, William Stout and him were really close friends. And William Stout said, great, great visionary, great filmmaker, can write any, can write beautiful, great stories, but he was not a people's person. He, he, he was very hard to get along with as far as, you know, especially if you didn't know him. William Stout knew him, so he knew how to talk to Dan. He knew, you know, how far he could push things with Dan. But Dan O'Bannon, if you didn't know him, he scared yeah. you. He was a yeah. scary he, guy. But you yeah. see interviews with him, and you kind of get that, too. Cause he was, you can, but okay. you also see he's constantly thinking. Yeah. What's sad is, is, if you look right here, it's in a different aspect ratio than the rest of the movie. Yeah. If you really get a good large movie screen and see this scene, you'll see a couple of surprises on each side of uh, the crematorium. Which word? One side has R2-D2 and one oh. side has C-3PO. See, which is lost on the versions I have, so. Yeah, because it's a little bit squished in. Yeah. But I love how he actually designed the whole crematorium after the ovens in Auschwitz, including <laughs> putting another a, Nazi joke. Another Nazi. Well, everything revolving Ernie was a Nazi joke, where he even took a light bulb, a giant light bulb, and put a screen over it to make it look like bars. If you look at the reflections of the light, it looks like yeah. bars. So this scene here where it's panning down, you can actually see the L.A. skyline in the red. If you got there, it is. That's the LA skyline yeah. right before it comes out of the tree line. I love how whenever the mu- this music comes up, it's the trioxin theme, absolutely. But I have a different, more pet name for it. Which it's is? the they fucked up theme. Because whenever you hear that music, they fucked up. Oh, and here's one of the coolest, but my favorite stories about this involving her in a minute. Oh, I know what you're getting at. <laughs> Roll up the windows. I did. I, I busted them. No, 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 not that. I'll no, I know what you're talking about. It's coming up. But it's coming here's up. Here's right here is if you look at Linnea's lips and Jewel, this is where they toned it down a little bit in redubbing, but she calls her a cunt. Yeah. There we go. Give me that, you cunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love this shot right here, the way it shows the yeah. water going underwater. And right here, the angel's like, oh, my God, you done fucked up. And make the smoke look so ominous and evil. Yeah, coming out of the oven. He speaks you know German right here. Beans and Germans, it tunes a lot. No. Cats and dogs. <laughs> it's rainy cats and dogs. So he's speaking yeah. in German. Again, another reference to Nazi days. Yeah. Now this is great. The the ant farm POV going down into the grave with the camera and showing the shoes of the corpse with the water leaking down. It's another horrible idea. Being buried, knowing you're going to get rained on. And I love this is that, well, this plays into the ending, too, but we'll talk about that when we get there. This is another line that was cut from the script. When he asked him for some big favor, he said, I could do that better than that fucking Nazi bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really don't, you barely get it, but Bert, him, and Ernie's character really fucking hate each other, real literally. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a lot of um, off-screen off uh, stories, like Clue and um, Dan O'Bannon had a few altercations where Clue chased Dan O'Bannon with a baseball bat at one point, and another point, he almost <laughs> nailed him in the head with a can, because Dan O'Bannon was running from him. He threw a can, and he shut the door just before it hit his head. Yeah. Oh, and another thing uh, that we really haven't mentioned, uh, which really shows how badass the young kids were, that whole cemetery set Yes. was on a hillside. They positioned the cameras to make it look flat. <laughs> oh. So they were but actually it was acting on a hill. all the way. And I love how more, every second it just gets more and more nihilistic. Yeah, I mean, he made sure he actually, the one line where they reference heaven or God, he actually cut that out. Because he's like, no, it's not nihilistic enough. That gives you hope. I I need to cut out any kind of hope as the movie progresses. There's Criswell on the refrigerator back there. This movie in suburbia may be the most nihilistic punk film made. Yeah, do you and see the photo of Criswell in the coffin know. on the refrigerator? That's from an Edward film. Yeah. I mean, he he just loaded the scenery. There's he said you can't put too much into it because not everyone's going to see everything. Well, I guess he wasn't expecting VHS releases or DVDs. Yeah, well, there's just like a million hidden jokes here. Yeah. <laughs> But it is sad that suicide uh, killed himself four years later. Nobody knew why. He um, had leukemia. Oh, okay. Yeah, he had leukemia. And, yeah, no, it was it was tragic. Like, yeah. But, I mean, I mostly knew him before this was, um not not before this, but was from uh, Friday the 13th. He played Vic, who chopped up oh. the kid, you know. That was him. That was Mark Venturini. I love how much garbage is in the fucking dirt here. There's like lighters, beer cans. 
That corpse no, kept crawling up to the dirt. They're going to be buried in a goddamn garbage dump, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's um Brian Peck, the corpse crawling through the dirt. Brian Peck kept coming back and fil- doing filler in scenes. He was pretty much their fake Shem, who anytime they needed someone to come in and fill in like a ghoul doing something or a voice to like the corpse on the yeah, table, okay. that was him. Here's the story. If you okay. remember earlier, they said the second step is a bitch. And in the script, yep. they said, you fall through the second step. So if you see, she won't step on the bad step. So yeah. what did they do? They took a break, and they changed to the shitty step and didn't tell her. And then said, okay, we're going to do a run-through. So you run up those stairs, and then you get a practice. And they started filming, and they really filmed her falling and busting her ass. And she screwed up her ankle, and she was pissed off at everybody for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Well, not only that, her ankle was all busted, and Dan O'Bannon's like, come on, get up, run. She's like, I can't. (laughs) Her and Dan did not get along. No, yeah, she was scared of him. One of the most iconic zombies ever. And if you have the MDM, they change. Dan, for some reason, decide to change his voice. And I'm like, yeah, why? It's fucking perfect. <laughs> so that was a real fall she took right there when she went through the steps. Yeah. yeah, that was um. Oh, what's the actor that played the Atar man? Oh, Alan Trotman, who was um. Yeah. A, a mime. So he was a mime and he was a dancer. So he was perfect to play a zombie whose bones weren't connected. <laughs> and this is when it, what really makes it different. I love this. In every other zombie film, if you put that pipe there and stuff, the zombies are fucked. They can't get to you. Yeah, they have no brains. Here, These zombies actually think. Yeah, here he's like, fuck you, I got this fucking winch, bitch. I'm going to tie it around her and pull the door open. <laughs> and they actually, to get the doors to bend the way they do, those doors are made out of sheets of lead. Yeah. A toxic-ass metal that they made the doors out of so they could get the right bend in it. And one of the crew members nearly got his head taken off by those doors flying off because they didn't expect it to fly with such force. No, yeah. <laughs> Watch the fucking step. Now this will, this always hurt me. That this should have been the tagline for the movie and not their, not their, you know, back from the dead and ready to party, which is a great tagline, yeah. but oh yeah, more brains. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Brains. <laughs> and then Well what's funny more. is a lot of the the early um the That early was an improv and one of my favorites. Yeah, where the fuck you going? Yeah, the, what um, the early the door. Where the hell are you going, stupid fuckers? <laughs> The early, a lot of the early ads, um, and the if you bought the original record, came with a slip of paper to order shirts, 
And the T-shirts were either the rock bands that were featured on the soundtrack or this T-shirt that said, more brains, send more cops. And I know where you're here because I can smell your brains. Those were the shirts. I'm looking at it now. I have the original record. Oh, and this so is, now, uh, this is just movies just so goddamn quotable. It always has. Yeah. And, and there's the other two. Wanted to miss. Nowadays, they're like, oh, zombies always eat brains. And they, yeah. they, they eat brains. And this, they eat brains. No, motherfucker. No, this is this movie. This, Return of the Living Dead is really the only movie you will see brain-eating zombies. Yes. One, two, three, four, five. Every other so one. So here's the paramedics. They're the other two cartoon characters I was talking about. One's named Tom, and the other one's Jerry. Jerry. Oh. <laughs> so it's all kinds of little, like, hidden jokes. Yeah. This movie has got so many jokes that you can watch it 20 times and you still miss them. Like, yeah. I never got the Ed Wood picture until he told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I saw it because I, I actually had that on an album cover of Criswell Predi- Predicts. That's a cover of a Criswell oh, Predicts you album. Oh, you had a Criswell album. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I had, I had a Criswell book once. <laughs> Where he talked about how in uh, Ohio it was going to turn into a cannibalistic state. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was he was way out there. And I love how he admitted he made this shit up. He just made it up and people believed it. Because <laughs> he wore a nice suit. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Here we go. The tall boys. Hey, go Take boss. a walk. Which anyone that knows punk rock, the Tall Boys were also the Mentors, which was a rockabilly band, a psychobilly band back then. There's a couple of psycho, three of the big psychobilly bands did on on this soundtrack. Uh, the Cramps, the Cramps. <laughs> Rokey, and these guys. Yeah. Which the Cramps, they were originally brought on because they thought they were going to do all the main music. But it ended up being a 45 grave, because so, everyone loved that song, and it fits so well when they tested it out on the um, corpse coming out of the ground. Yeah. And what's funny is if you probably have heard the original version of 45 grave, do you think we should tell oh, that yeah. story on a friendly Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, oh, wait, i got to mention this. So this, William Stout said, was the biggest disappointment of Bill Munns and got him fired, was this corpse coming out of the ground right here, which still looks good. But if you ever see William Stout's original production design that he gave to Bill Munns and said, this is the corpse I want, Bill Munns pretty much ignored his production designs and just took a skeleton, ran a tube up its back and said, here you go, here's your fucking corpse, your first corpse. And William you know what really was... saves that corpse? What? Oh, the mud. That fucking song. Yeah, the 45 Grave song, which this is considered the heavy metal version. Diana Cancer it... talks about it in great detail, because the original version of the song was about a five-year-old girl who was abused and raped and treated like shit and killed. So Diana Cancer wrote the song for the five-year-old girl and she ended the song with, I hope your eternity is one happy birthday after another. You're an eternity of birthdays. And they were told 
because they had to do a concert and they didn't realize they they booked a punk rock band for a heavy metal show. So they wrote a quick heavy metal version of the song to do the concert. And that actually became more popular than her original song. So she loved the song, but hates it. it. Yes, for the movie. Called uh, uh, party, the party version time version. Time version. I forget the yeah. full the name. The zombie version. It's. It, I'm looking at the album now. It's the zombie version. That is one of the best oh. fucking improv lines ever. Too. <laughs> Are you crazy? Are you on PCP? You on PCP? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, of course, because all young punks were on drugs back then. <laughs> <laughs> it's the druggy picked. Almost nobody took PCP. <laughs> I love Brian Peck's uh, Scud Zombie sound because effect they fucked uh, up on. Yeah. Because they're supposed to go quiet and you hear. Yeah. I love this scene because this reminds me of the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in Industrial Park in Hillside, <laughs> and this is, this Jason movie reminds me of home. On your way home, wanting to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I lived in industrial park, and I saw factory. I had to walk through factories every day to get home, and it reminded me of this. Yeah. This movie, that was another thing I loved about it. Oh, here we this go. This is the live version of the screaming. It was supposed to be very loud. Yeah. But I think they ran out of money, so they couldn't get the proper sound effect. And I love yeah. how the zombie just fucking barrels in there like this. <laughs> Here we go. This is chilling. Turns on lights and they're all waiting in front of the car. Now, there is aspects of the way the cinematographer framed this and filmed it that reminds me of children shouldn't play with dead things. It really has that chilly creepiness of children shouldn't play with dead things made in 1974. Yeah, and it's just like children, because we're at the point where almost all the humor just leaves the fucking movie. Yeah, there's no humor left. It's it's just now horror straight on, which is why this movie yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, that's right. Okay, right now is when, the, you know, there's no hope. Yeah. Even though it's the 80s and you're watching, it's like, they'll get out, they'll get a hundred? <laughs> See, there's little scenes like yeah. that, but it never gets goofy. It's more it of an uncomfortable gets... humor. It's like when Freddie and Frank die, so does the humor. Yes. Oh, did you know that? Hey! <laughs> Fuck your <Yes>. phone! <laughs> <laughs> People always wonder why the zombie didn't just bust through that window. But if you look closely, it has a steel grating over it, so you couldn't yeah. bust through it. So I always like to tell people that. Freddy! <laughs> and not to mention, Freddy's a warehouse worker. My name is Fred. I work in a warehouse. So, yeah, this movie has a lot of meaning to me. Okay, here's my favorite zombie. I'm sorry. I just love Yeah, no. This is the moment I truly, truly fell in love with this movie. Yeah, right here. This and they actually the got paid extra. This moment without any silliness in it. Yeah. And there's no music. It's quiet right up to the point. 
and the producers thought it was stupid that he hired uh, you're like, oh my god, it's sitting, and then he falls down, <laughs> what the fuck, and then, a legless and missing arm zombie. Poor bastard tripped and busted his head open on that pipe. <laughs> yeah, which is the cut they left in. Now, for people who want to know, those are real calf brains that fell out of his mouth. Actors got paid extra if they were willing to put real brains in their mouth. <laughs> and once Dan O'Bannon talked to... Uh, uh, Romero, Romero said, "What the hell were you doing? What do you mean, paying him extra money? What do you yeah. mean? You should have just said what I did. What? You'll be on screen as a featured zombie if you put this shit in your mouth. How much did you have <laughs> yep. to pay him? None. Oh, and here it is, the cramps. One of the greatest songs on the soundtrack. Oh yeah. And one of the best jokes too." Dead. Even the phones are dead. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great cut here. When he runs to the door in the back and forth and he's shooting at him. Yeah. Help me. They're all standing there staring. It was the first time I seen this and I was singing in the theater. Yeah. Ooh, baby, your ass. Yeah. Well, I mean, I already had um the cramps on vinyl. I had bad music for bad bad uh, bad music for bad people, and I'm like, I, when I saw this film, I was like, oh my god, this is my movie. This is my people. This yeah. this was made well, for me. Well, the first me. time I heard the cramps was uh, the infamous uh, what was it that sampler that came out from the West Coast? Oh, jeez. Label, you know. It wasn't the um decline of the Western Front. That was a uh, that was alternative. No, tentacles. it was um, the record label that they were on and their infamous samplers that they uh, got stores to sell. Yeah, I I didn't have that, but I knew I know exactly what you're talking about. Those things cost a shitload nowadays. Yeah. Oh, there's a guy them. eating real brains. Which they said by the by the time they um, filmed a lot of this, there's a zombie in the back passed out from eating so much brains. <laughs> you can see his stomach moving. Or paramedics. I mean, I can understand Dan O'Bannon wanted to change certain zombies' voices, but he did a good job. Don't yeah, no, it was. It worked. Everything in this movie worked. He said it the best. He said. Sometimes you just have to abandon a movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another joke. Man, my arms are dead. Dead. It hurts. So the oh, earlier setup, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you should. That knife thing was added in a later take, because yeah. originally he just says, we think you should, and he does. Yeah. And they're like, no, that wouldn't work for a guy like Bert. So when he's describing his like, pull out, they, had, they had to get a toy knife. Yeah. So when he's describing the pain, 
that's actually set up earlier when uh, Ernie was talking about rigor mortis that starts in the brain and works down into the muscles. So that's why yeah. he's talking about how he had a fucked headache and now his arms and legs are killing him. Which if you ever have food, sorry, which if you ever have food poisoning or the flu, you would know you would feel the same thing. <laughs> up. I love the way he just everything up. Everything <laughs> up how? Yeah, he's like, Okay, I'm in my element now, I know what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the bruise he killed earlier on the corpse. If Dan O'Bannon yeah, hadn't yeah. have done that. Now, if you look closely, I love when they lift up the shirt. You can actually see the ribs moving under the bruising. Yeah. Watch. <laughs> Blood pooling up. You can actually see the but ribs like moving I under said, the bruising. If Dan O'Bannon hadn't have done that great uh, bruising makeup, there wouldn't have been no yeah. payoff right yeah. here. Yeah. Setting in. <laughs> That's another famous line I love. It looks like rigor mortis is setting in. Rigor mortis, you're dead. Turns one of those things it. out there. You're dead. You're dead. You're <laughs> dead, man. They covered everything in that moss to give it that southern feel. Yeah, even though there's no moss like that in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> I no. live about three hours away from it, so we were laughing about that. <laughs> you know. All right, so this is added. If you remember the um, original release, there's um, a little extra gore added here when they when the zombie bites Brian Peck's head, Scuzz's head, a fountain of blood comes out. In certain releases, they cut that down, and you didn't see as much blood. But in this release, thankfully, Scream Factory added it back in. Yeah, well, when I seen it in the theater, it was this bloody. Yeah, it was. And then when it came out on VHS and early DVDs, it didn't have the fountain of blood that you see here. Yeah. If you notice, her um, spine just comes off the rod. <laughs> and there's uh, Eric Gardner's uh, half corpse. 19-year-old kid made that. Okay, so do you agree with Brian Peck that since he got wet in that toxin rain, that he should have came back as uh, one of the zombies? No. Because I thought that would have been, a, like, you know, a pretty chilling thing to have it another a really chilling effect, but he didn't get exposed enough, if you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, he comes out, and then he gets wet, and then he comes back in. Oh, look at that. In the... In the... So in the work, work print of this, that corpse on the table, that's actually Brian Peck, like Shemp, playing, doing her voice. And, of course, they changed it later for a woman's voice because, you know, she has 
breasts because <laughs> they couldn't use uh, Brian Peck's voice. Well, they needed a voice guide. Yeah. But I love how they did the effect to where you can see under the table so you don't see people under there operating this thing. Yeah. I love the spinal fluid going on the table. Yeah, dripping out of the uh, spine. (laughs) I love what he says after this. Yeah. It hurts to be dead. In the original script, there was supposed to be a scene where Ernie had, like, a giant bottle of endorphins that he kept there for late night uh, work that he injects her with. See, yeah, that's the thing. It it shows that Dan O'Bannon did his research because they were talking about endorphins and the brain, and that's why the corpses were eating brains, to stop the pain, to get that endorphin. So they don't feel like they're rotting. <laughs> that the spinal fluid's great squirting out of there. I love the fact that you can't fucking kill them. Yeah. Reduce them to ashes. That's up for later. How you burn all the budget? Originally, it was supposed to be a big graveyard. There's supposed to be more like a thousand or so. Yeah. Well, I mean, this movie barely had any money to do anything. It was a B movie, but Dan O'Bannon's credit, he made it look like an A-list film. And to literally credit, her resurrection scene is just yeah. And this song is fucking not on the soundtrack. There's hints of it is. It's SSQ. Um, it's actually yeah. uh, Trash's theme, they call it, on the album, SSQ. I mean, it's not, they, they edit it differently for the film, but it, it, there is part, elements of it on the soundtrack. Yeah. Her makeup, this was originally supposed to be William Stout as the hobo. Uh, you know, this, the strut. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> There it is. And you can see the plug now on Blu-ray and all yeah. the clarity. <laughs> so, that, again, that was William Stout made her mask. He sculpted her mask and put her chin <laughs> much lower. So when she had to bite their heads, she had to bite them using her chin as a guide because that's where the opening of the mouth was because he wanted it to extend almost like it was a snake. Yeah. They put a lot of thought into the effects, which most movies don't. They're just and like, this is the blood scene where I really learned to hate her on screen. Yeah. I would not, I never really liked you. <laughs> yeah, no, she tells the guy straight out, I don't, the guy who has a crush on her, I don't like you, but hold me because I'm hurting. You know, it's like, ah, go away. And most guys are like, okay. Oh, and we're coming up on the biggest joke that's a connection to uh, Donna's a dead. 
And I love James Kieran's performance right there. What does it say above the chapel? Did you read that? We Chapel of the Dawn. I had to call back. No, here. I pushed the wrong button. Okay. Hello? Hello, I'm here. But yeah. We Chapel okay. of the Dawn. <laughs> I love that little reference to Dawn of the Dead. Which is, I mean, the most famous zombie film of all times. But can you imagine if they had had their original release dates, uh, uh, late June for Dawn, for Day of the Dead, and October for Return of the Living Dead? Yeah. How much? Well, I wouldn't say that because, let's be honest, Return of the Living Dead killed it at the box office. Yeah, I mean... I can see um, George's complaint on that, but at the same time, it's like, you know, oh, this is great. They, they actually used real cops for this. Yeah. They got two cops for this for one line. I got a man down. <laughs> that was it. They were like, that's what the cops contributed. <laughs> I got a man down. Yeah. But, I mean, George never really takes into things that, Return of the Living Dead really killed at the box office, and Day of the Dead was too goddamn grim for 1985. That was I was going to bring that up, because even though Return of the Living Dead was very nihilistic, it was still upbeat, and let's face it, the 80s was a party decade. Day of the Dead came out, and it was very dark, grim, and gritty. A lot of people didn't want to be sad. And the movie, you know, even though it kind of had an upbeat ending, was still, it's the last few people left on Earth. I don't think people were ready yeah. for Day of the Dead. I think Day of the Dead would have actually played better now than back oh, then. Oh, yeah. Look, well, look how many fans it has now compared to back then. Yeah. And because... uh, don't forget, Return of the Living Dead had the punk audience and the West Coast punk audience. Yeah. There you go, Everyone who was sick <laughs> of heavy metal movies and heavy metal ladies. This hair was hair like, metal, yeah. Yeah. Well, not hair metal, just metal, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this there was There were those this who was loved the cramps and they were like, this movie was made for me. And those yeah. <laughs> who were looking for something different to listen to, like me, going, this movie was made for me. I love this scene where Freddy dies, and you can see the moment that he comes back. Yeah. Right? There. He comes right back to life, and he smiles, because he knows what he's got to do. Like brains. <laughs> My brains. So he's after his girlfriend's brains. What's the difference between live brains and dead brains? Well, the live brains have the endorphins. Bra- de- 
um, yeah. dead brains. Yeah, you know, fresh brains you'd have to eat. Oh, belongness. There, there is another thing. Belongness fleeting day. Let's see that no man wakes. Yep. <laughs> they because they were probably making it as a joke because Day of the Dead was supposed to be the last one. Yeah. Acid to the face. I mean, it really was supposed to be the last one, and that's another reason we were disappointed back then. We were expecting a big, giant fucking finale. Yeah. Oh, this this slap right here on Nunez. Right here, when Don Calfa slaps him, the first one was scripted. The second one wasn't. Because he wanted to catch him off guard, and re- and he really wailed and hit him. So the first one, you see Nunez tearing his face. The second one made full contact, and he said right after he called cut, Nunez went after Don Calfa to beat his ass for really slapping him. Yeah, the fact that Nunez went with it while the camera was on is really why yeah. I'm shocked he didn't become a bigger name. But... How many leads were they in the late 80s for someone who's half Mexican, half yeah. black? And oh, that painting up there, that was William Stout's painting. Him putting the pants off and everything. Him yeah. breaking his ankle. The subtle makeup on Don Calfa's face with the uh, highlight of the red. That's exactly what you would look like if you broke a bone. Yeah. Now, this makeup here, I was always impressed with. The burnt-out eyes of Freddy. If they had more money, they was going to show him in his more EC comic phase that... uh... But to cover it up, they gave him Don Stout's drawing of what he was supposed to look like. Yeah. And they had and him describe it. And I don't again, think that it was uh, William failed. <laughs> don't you yeah. think? Well, yeah, I mean, William Stout said he based a lot of it on EC Comics and the um, artwork of Bernie Reiston. So yeah. all his if you look at William Stout's drawings, which I wish he would release his posters cuz I would buy him an RP. You could see elements of Stout and EC Comics. I mean, uh, elements of Bernie Rice and EC Comics. Yeah. If you've got the Shout Factory 2 disc, there is a section with the artwork in it. Yes. But it wasn't as cool as uh, getting the big-ass poster of your favorite zombie. (laughs) The closest they came to really translating uh, Stout stuff into reality... Was uh, Tarman. Yeah. Which surprisingly was done by Munns. That was the only time Munns pulled through was when he made the Tarman. Everything else he completely screwed up and they had to hire other crews. This movie has more fucks in it than I think even Sleep Boy Camp. <laughs> oh, God. I-, I would say it's about even. Yeah. <laughs>
them speeding through the graveyard. I just love yeah. how they're like dodging the zombies, how they're jumping out of the way. No, the zombies are dodging them. <laughs> yeah. <at> Shit. <laughs> Even the living dead, they're like. Yeah. But I do Uh-oh. love that. They're like, oh, bullshit. Why don't they just run over them? Bullshit. That's a yeah. goddamn wall right there. <laughs> you may kill 10 or 20 of them, but. Yeah. You know, like in Night of the Living Dead when he talks about his car getting turned over. That's probably yeah. one of the more realistic aspects that most people think is bullshit. Yeah, that would have that would have definitely happened. The car would have stalled out hitting that many ghouls. And plus, it would take 20 punkers, even skinny-ass motherfuckers like homeboys there in the, the thing. If they <laughs> had to really go to power, they could turn the car over. <laughs> Well, couldn't they? Honestly? Here's yeah. a funny story about um, John Philbin, who played Chuck. He actually talked about how he was uh, part of the punk scene when they were filming this, and how he actually went to um, a, pil- a PIL concert, and he pissed off Johnny Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, because he climbed into the Raptors and started swinging on the Raptors, causing parts of the stage to fall. And Johnny Rotten goes, you fucker. <laughs> and then he stage dies into Johnny the audience. Lights is kind of an easy thing to do, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so, I mean, saying that they just casted actors, no, they still were part of the punk scene because it was so big back then. This and here's Jimmy Cowan. I usually use when I put white... Is James Karen better than you? Yeah. Because he didn't want to go out and eat brains. Improvise, you know. Yeah. It's in the script, but. Well, he yeah, he asked ben, uh, Dan O'Bannon to add this in because he didn't want to be running around eating brains out in the rain waiting for the bomb to drop. He wanted to go out and, yeah, with a little I've dignity. Yeah, I've seen the script with that shot and. Uh, one of Don Stout's drawings that had him out there. Yeah. And here's Dan O'Bannon's cameo, the voice in the helicopter, coming up. Oh, this is great, the ambush, the police ambush. All the cop cars, what is there, like 10 cop cars, and they all get jumped by a horde of zombies. Yeah. That's Dan O'Bannon. And then it's his funny, voice the when guy he does who wrote it. one of the best punk rock movies ever always wore a three-piece suit and a goofy, nerdy bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only, the biggest thing that I don't like about the MGM DVD is that besides the Dan O'Bannon commentary, it was made right when MGM was... Uh, in the middle of a lawsuit against Dan O'Bannon because of how yeah. much uh, they owed him for Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, money so always rules. They put every shitty story about him they could on there, and the whole thing was about why. And if you listen to the cast commentary, which I don't recommend because it's shit. Yeah, it's just them joking around. Was trying to egg them on into saying uh, bad Dan O'Bannon stories. The documentary More Brains is really good, but, yeah. <laughs> a short version is on the Shout Factory because the full uncut version, which you could, I think 
Is it? Isn't it out of print? Yeah, it's out of print right now. The um, full documentary. Yeah, you can get the truncated yeah. version on uh, the Screen Factory disc. And that should tell you how long it is that we're calling a two-hour fucking documentary truncated. Yeah. Now, this is horrifying. He picks up the gun and he puts it to Beverly's head because he'd rather murder her himself than have Freddie eat her brain. And the fact that Freddie just broke his own arm off trying to break through the door. And I don't know why they... It's in the fucking work print, and I don't know why they didn't include the little bit where he checks his clip. Yeah. And there's only one bullet left. Yeah, I always recommend, yeah, I recommend everyone that's watching this or listening to this, after you're done with this, look at the work print. Because you get a lot of the story out of that one, too. A lot of the key effects are cut out, but you get more story out of it. Oh, that's so nasty. The door's covered in this slot. It's just one of those, like, uh, getting the novelization of a movie and getting the little details that would have been too much for the movie. Yeah, exactly. No, so I do lie. recommend that. This movie every... is perfectly edited. It's only yeah, no. 95 minutes, but it's tighter than uh, it's tighter than a rich man's asshole when you're looking for money. <laughs> good way to put it. <laughs> and a good tight too. So here, like this scene, they they go more into like they have rabies, you know. Because he didn't want to save yeah, their zombies. He's he still wants... lying trying to save his business. Yeah. And everybody mistakes thinks and thinking this is Dan O'Bannon. He looks like Dan O'Bannon, but yeah, <laughs> it's not Dan yeah. O'Bannon as no, a, as a no cop. Mustache, but and what another thing that's in the work print that's not here, it shows them fighting about calling number on the tank. Yeah. Before he calls the cops. There it is. And there's Linnea right in the front of him running in. The naked ghoul. <laughs> now look at her chin. It's way down because they did a special makeup for her to make it look like she could extend her jaw. I love how she's holding that tiny little hammer like it's the only hope that she's gotten in the world. Yeah. Now she she's playing she's playing traumatized pretty good. And plus, look, they they know what he's doing. They shouldn't know what the yeah. fuck he's doing. <laughs> Without that argument scene. Yeah. Oh, and here's the scene where a lot of the audience was confused, but once it shows this, it took me three seconds, then I was laughing my ass off once I figured it out. Yeah. And I love how nice they put it. That shows, that was pure 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. They don't call it... uh the dead, the zombies, the gas. The Easter eggs have hatched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and what do you think that stencil on the shirt is a tribute to? 
Oh, I don't know. I never, I never even recognized that. What's it? H.G. Howard Glover or Herschel H. G. Lewis? Gordon, Gordon Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. A little nod to Herschel Gordon Lewis. I never caught that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, everybody keeps thinking there's someone behind their bed that's actually a mirror. You're seeing the white top of the wife's head in a mirror. Yeah. Which they said when they went to this house, they didn't have to set design it at all. They were like, it's perfectly 1980s Reagan family decorated. It's tacky. It's well, perfectly yeah, Reagan it. tacky. Yeah. But, yes, they would do something like that. Like when Three Mile Island had it, they called it an, an event. Yeah. Not an accident. Not, you know. We love sugarcoating things in the 80s. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing about this movie. It's, it is a punk rock song. It's got its politics, but it's not shoved in your face. You no. know, it's more of like a very vaguely right and wrong song. Oh, this is great when yeah. you're talking on that little phone. If you pay attention, there's going to be a cut where you see the hot, the just hot glue gun that's set together, <laughs> and yeah, it, it falls uh, apart. Okay, let's get into that. They did not have a fucking ending for this movie. Yeah. If you want to see well, they, the original ending, watch the work print. It's, which, yeah, I'm going to get into because they, they, the original ending, I mean, right up to the nuclear blast, then it changes. And it sucks. It's just they, the original, I like the they dropped the fucking ball big time at the fucking ending. What, with the nuclear bomb? No, everything that happens after the nuclear bomb in the original ending. Oh, where they talk about scooping up the uh, the soil and... Yeah. That's a boring way to end the fucking movie. Oh, and guess yeah, what he's ends... reading right there. Well, remember... Oh, wait. Archimedes? That's a Bernie Wrightson comic book. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But as soon as I Which seen was that, reading... I, it took me a few seconds once I realized, wait, that's fucking artillery, fucking... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the original... Remember, the movie was supposed to be a documentary. It was supposed to be real events. So they tried to end yeah. it like it was a real event, saying that the EPA removed 900 tons of contaminated soil... And they stored it up with the railroad cards that they're hiding in South Dakota on a dead end rail line that no one's supposed to ever find. Uh, oh, and that sound is taken from a uh, Mr. Wiley Coyote falling. Yeah. Now this effect I'm always impressed with because this is a practical effect. They literally set up a camera with models of the houses and blew up a gas bomb in the back and have fans blow the tiles off the house. This is yeah. an all-in-camera practical effect that looks better than anything yeah. CGI. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, like, stock footage here, but and in the second ending to the one that's closer to this that, uh, what's his name, did, uh, not Russ Steiner, not Rudy Ricci, uh, Russo, it was the Russians who set it all up. Yeah. Yeah, which, which yeah, is stupid. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it, what we got is this, and yes, this is the exact same footage from earlier in the movie, but fuck it, it works. 
And this is where watch his name. He says, "Oh, it's just a skeleton disappointed." Fuck you. Yeah. This is a great end shot. It leaves you yeah. laugh. And then it shows the best lines in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it goes back. It, cover, it recovers the movie. <laughs> it reminds and, you of why this movie's so great. And it and and it's funny because if you watch the TV version, they didn't fucking watch the end credits. Yeah, no. Because there's cursing in it that's not in the movie. Yeah, in the TV version, they forgot to go through the end credits and cut up. Yeah. Right there. I hit the fucking brain. (laughs) Now, can you imagine watching TV and you hear, I hit the fucking brain? Yeah. And her groping him like that. Yeah. A hundred of those fuckers. (laughs) Yeah. The, um... If you see the uh, work print ending, which was the original ending, they talk about leukemia and infant rape mortalities because they were trying to end the movie like it was more of a documentary rather than a film. But it didn't quite work. But, I mean, I like having the work print for that, but I prefer to watch this. And once I get my U.K. DVD, I'll be able to watch the film the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) And SSQ was kind of pit. There's a couple of bands who's the only place where their song is really played is during the end credits. And the Cramps were pissed that you heard more of their song in the end credits than you did the yeah. fucking movie. But they did have a highlight of the movie when they were boarding the place up. Yeah. It was the perfect energy for that scene. Because if you used any other song, that scene would have been dead. It would have been them nailing boards up and running around the place trying to protect themselves. The cramps well, don't get the, the energy up. They don't have this song. That's no. another thing. When you watch the work print, notice without this fucking music. Yeah, the movie doesn't work without the soundtrack. Doesn't work. They, they they go hand in hand. You can't have a oh, punk rock God, movie without it, punk rock soundtrack. Yeah, it's just everything. The best thing Enigma did was getting the right to the soundtrack in perpetuity. Yeah. That's why you can still get the soundtrack on vinyl, CD, and all that. Oh, yeah. Fuck now, you, Francis Straw Haynes, Dogs, he goes your... Sucks, it doesn't belong in the movie. Sorry. Yeah, yeah see, Straw, Straw, Straw Dogs, that wasn't... That had such a small part in it. It was supposed to be The Damned. So... Yeah. Love Underworld. Yeah, get the soundtrack. Yeah, Fairies are can... fucking good. Take a walk by the Tall Boys. Surfing yeah, the Dead surfing by the Cramps. Burn the Flames by Roki Erickson. If you've yeah, never rest heard in peace. any, if the only song you've heard by Roki Erickson is Burn the Flames, you need to fucking change that shit right now. Yeah, look him up. Start listening to his music. Him and the Cramps. Everyone on this soundtrack were amazing. So. Oh, when you're oh. There's a reason why this soundtrack is one of the best sellers of the fucking 80s. Oh, you can still get it. They're still releasing it. I mean, you can still buy it oh, brand God, new. Yeah. Like, a thing, like <laughs> they said, they got the rights to the soundtrack in perpetuity. And that's pretty much keeping the company in fucking... Yeah. Thing. Well, it seems here we got 24 minutes left, so... 
<laughs> it's the end of October, and there really hasn't been a horror film. Well, not nothing that horrifies you that really new one that really kicked in the gear for people this month, it seems. Don't you think, Fred? Uh, Joker's kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah that Joker, I mean, is really the biggest movie of this month. And if you don't it's think all, it, that it's not horrifying, then you yeah. haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it, it, like I keep telling my friends who want to go see it, I'm like, it's not a, it's not a, a comic book film. It's a horror movie. You know, it's like Taxi Driver on steroids. It's, yeah. it's fucked up. It's, it's, a, he, he's, it's a horror movie. It's a psychological breakdown of a human being. You know, it's only Joker in name only. You can and replace the all the names in that movie. Of a city too. Yeah. Yeah, you can replace all the names in that movie with like Bob and Sam, and it would still be effective. You don't need it to be a Joker film. So, well, yeah, no, that movie I mean, that's is... that's the way where we are right now. We have the moderate liberals hating you guys, the yeah. extreme left, and the extreme left hating the moderate liberals and uh, the right, and the right thinking that, well, to quote the movie, we're nothing but a bunch of fucking clowns. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's mm, the times we're living in. I mean, the reason that movie's doing so well is we're living in a time where the people have no voice. We're abandoned by both by both parties right now. No, no one gives a shit about us. We've lost our touch on our politics. It's no longer our politics. It's it's corporations saying what goes now. You know, like the like the Joker movie says, it's basically, you know, everything's cut for us and everything's going to the top. And if you don't like it, fuck you, you know. Yeah. So that's that's why this and I mean if you look at the media how they're trying to destroy that film. Trying to say, Oh, it's gonna cause incels to go sh- on shooting sprees and it's gonna it's gonna, you know, cause mass shootings and the movie has no plot and it's boring, you know, and then people that go to see the movie going, this is fucking excellent. This is great. And this is where we are now as a society. And I love the fact that in the punk rock theme, it's made by Todd Phillips, who made Hated Gigi Allen, the Murder Junkies. His first film was a punk rock documentary. So, yeah, again, that's it's most punk rock. Don't say they're going, oh, this shit was made by the motherfucker who made the. The Hangover trilogy and all them comedies. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, this is how they made that fucked up movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and of course it's punk rock ethics has to push it in your face what's going on, you know? Punk rock was always great for that. And plus, so. Colonel Living Dead's attitude is more with Joker. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean again, we it's, it's punk rock roots. Those of us that punk in the 80s, the Joker was our ethos. Everything sucked. Everything sucked. Yeah. No, I mean, the Just fact that the one the of the movie funniest... set in, period. Yeah, it had to take place in the 70s, because that's, and, and that's the other thing no, I was going to bring up. No, not 70s, is... 1981. 
81, but the same environment that created punk rock is the same environment that created the Joker in this new movie. Right. It's the same exact thing. remember all that happened in 1981? Yeah. Reagan got put in the office. Reagan got shot. Sadat, the guy who tried to make peace in Egypt, was assassinated. The fucking Pope was shot. We were just barely cleaning up the end mess where John Lennon got shot. Yeah. It was a very violent, 1981's perfect, because it was a very violent fucking year. Don't forget um, the, the punk band Slipper put out the song Love Canal, talking about the river that was so polluted it caught on fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, everything was a mess. Yeah, and the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, there were these four guys with this mysterious version of pneumonia that were checked into the hospitals that they reported that they that the people in control did not give a shit about. <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to set a movie in the 80s and set it in one of the ugliest years, 1981 would probably be it. Yeah, it was at the end of the 70s and then the beginning of the 80s. So it was right before Reagan destroyed the last of the strength of the Union of that time with the airport strikes, and Reaganomics kicked in. I mean, what comes to mind is the Ramon song, Bonzo Goes to Bitburg, where Reagan literally went to a Nazi Nazi cemetery to honor the Nazi dead. That was our politics back then. So people complain about Trump. Well, a lot hasn't changed. <laughs> no, it hasn't changed. And the reason that we know it's 1981 is that uh, the double feature that uh, Bruce Wayne's family walks out of is Zorro the Gay Blade and Excalibur. And both of them came out in 1981. Yep, and if you notice when, um, if anyone who has seen Joker, at the end of this, when Bruce Wayne's father gets shot, when they're panning down the alleyway, if you look on the right wall, there's a movie poster for the film Wolfen. And I that's that another one, one that fits. What was that? That's another one that fits with that, because that's about a whole group of mysterious ghosts who are pissed off that the industrialists are taking over the city. Yep. Yeah, so and right plus, there is another tie-in to how they're gentrifying the Bronx of the time, you know, yeah. and tearing everything and down. And the only film from. you're going to see full nude, Edward James Olmos. Yeah. Yeah, and running around as Edward Indian James Olmos' best lines ever. Finney asked him, he said, do you change? He's like, yeah, I change into animals. I fluck like a rabbit, drink like a fish. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's another one of my famous films. at the revival house in Joker when he's walking down the street. Yeah. You know what? I love how they made, um, they recreated Times Square in Gotham. Yeah. I love that. The old gritty Times Square. And this is very fucking important. Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole. Hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, you would love it. It's about this reporter 
this guy gets stuck in a mine and rather and and rather than saving the guy, people conspire and they all end up conspiring to keep him down in the mine because everyone else is making a whole lot of money out of tourists coming there to see if they're gonna save him. People oh. coming there making money off the interviews they're giving and all that. Oh God. Pretty much like what uh they were doing to the Joker in this film. He was showing yeah, him and brought him onto the show to exploit him. Yeah, nasty fucking movie. You would love it. Yeah, I got to check that one out. Ace in the hole. <laughs> but wow. if you were around in 81, why the fuck would Bruce Wayne want to see Zorro the Gay Blade? Oh, come on. It's a funny film. <laughs> oh, That's a great film. And here's the thing. Why the fuck would uh, Bruce Wayne's father, on the night where... People were saying they're going to fucking riot. Yeah. Take his family to the goddamn movies in the goddamn shithole part of town. Well, what's that great line in Zorro the Gay Blade? If you're going to be poor, don't dress poorly. Yeah. (laughs) And if you really look in the comics and stuff, the way they betrayed him, uh, Bruce Wayne thought Thomas Wayne was not a nice guy. So that no. wasn't a change. He was always an asshole. Yeah, they he became a nice guy in what is it? Um, the Dark Knight and all the and the Batman Begins. He was the nice guy. I'm gonna save the city, son. You have to be a good boy, you know. I don't remember too much of the comics versions of uh Bruce Wayne of um. His father, Thomas though, Wayne. Bruce Wayne's Thomas father. Wayne, it turns Thomas. out he was working with the mobsters and all that. Yeah. You remember, even in Batman Begins, when Bruce Wayne goes to the mob guy, they even hint that he's working with Falcone. Yeah. True, yeah, yeah that's Joker, right. Joker was not what we expected, and that's why we love it. Definitely. That might be a movie we have to do. (laughs) Yeah, it was a movie where people went in expecting an R-rated comic book movie. And what did they get? A 1981 exploitation film in the vein of fucking Maniac. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, yeah, there's definitely elements of Maniac. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely elements of... Wrong fucking movie. Yeah, no, I mean, and I tried explaining that to people because, you know, when you say um, Grindhouse, everyone thinks of the Tarantino film. Like, no, think like, um, you know, Old Times Square. Think of, oh, what's that, Pieces. You know, think of films like that, the the really gritty, you know, in-your-face, we-don't-give-a-fuck-about-the-audience type of films. And that's what Joker is. Uh, They were thinking of creating a, a film, not... Pleasing the demographics. Yeah, you know what movie it really reminds me of? Don't Go Which in one? the House. Hmm. I can see that, definitely, yeah. I mean, that movie's about a guy who goes batshit crazy and just... And really, that that is... The statement in the movie is true. What do you get when you fucking marginalize and ignore people who need your fucking help? You get what you what fucking you deserve. Fucking deserve. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, no. 
Yeah, and everyone compares it to Taxi Driver. It definitely has a Taxi Driver feel, but it's just more intense. You know, Taxi Driver really... It's comedy. Yeah. But, yeah, every... It just seems like everything gets compared to a Taxi Driver. Oh, he's a dark loner. He's a Taxi Driver. Yeah. Yeah, it's too too easy to compare it, you know? And I like how Martin Scorsese... That's like, you know... He actually That's like produced saying, it. I won darts. Why? I hit the dartboard. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Martin Scorsese produced it in name only. Like, he kind of walked away from this film and made his statement that he hates comic book films. But, I mean, well, he, he there's... comic book films. I mean... Yeah. The real reason he walked away from Joker is just think of how many years he's tried to get the Irishman made. True, yeah, and couldn't get it done. And plus, if he would have done Joker, it would have just been rehashing movies that he's already done. Yeah, that's why he kind of handed it off to another guy to produce. Yeah, and Todd but... Phillips just knocked it out of the fucking park. <laughs> the fact that he had the balls to go all the way with it. Yeah. So, and Joker, I just wanted to bring up, did you catch the reference to uh, John Wayne Gacy? Oh, good Lord, yes. Anytime you have a clown with uh, the sharp point, people don't understand. Why are you comparing to Gacy because he dressed like a clown? No. It's because Gacy's makeup had the sharp, pointy edges on it. And the blue over the eyes. And not only that, what was the name of the comedy club that he performed at? Pogos. That was Gacy's Pogo, name. Pogo, which was, which was Gacy's clown name when he murdered. Yep. <laughs> and if you look at the Joker's final makeup, that's Pagliacci. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot the name of the film, but yep, it's the old uh, silent film. Pagliacci, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of John Wayne Gacy. People keep asking, when did clowns get scary? When did clowns get scary? And I don't. Yeah. That was Gacy, yep. And what was the name of um, his admirer's daughter? Oh, Harley. No, no, no. It was Gigi. Remember, she called her Gigi. Oh, Gigi. Which was referring to Gigi Allen. (laughs) (laughs) I caught that on my second viewing. When I saw Joker a second time, I was like, oh, no, he didn't just refer to Gigi Allen. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, her daughter's name is Gigi. Yeah. Oh, I've so seen a meme this... say it showed, uh, what's his name from Suicide Squad? Oh, Harley Quinn? Oh, what, what I mean, no, um... uh, the Joker from Suicide Squad. Oh, um, Leto, yeah. Yeah, and it said punk rocker before, he said, want to be punk rocker before a Gigi Allen concert. And then it showed Joaquin Phoenix, it says punk rocker Want to be punk rocker after a Gigi <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't see that one. And if you haven't but, um, seen Hated, yeah, you need yeah, to if read you, up on it first, but, God, you need to see it. Yeah, anyone that wants to know where um, where Todd Phillips, uh, why Todd Phillips was so perfect to do the Joker film, you need to dig out Hated G.G. Allen, the Murder Junkies, his first film. 
his his student film that he made that became international hit. Like it it just it broke bounds, you know. That it wasn't just exploitive, but you really saw how fucked up people were. You know, Gigi Allen was a result of a father who was they believed was a serial killer. He hinted mm-hmm. at being a serial killer. And that Gigi Allen they really thought was related to John Wayne Gacy, which is how Todd Phillips knew John Wayne Gacy. Because Todd Phillips met John Wayne Gacy in prison while he was making, hated Gigi Allen the murder junkie. So he knew John Wayne Gacy in person. Yeah, so that's, that's why there's... John, that's back when Johnny Depp rode uh, John Wayne Gacy's dick and had the paintings of him. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that's fact, John Wayne... not, if you like Turn Living Dead, like I said, watch Hated. Yeah. Uh, the other films we mentioned tonight, uh, Suburbia. Suburbia is another edge. great. Yeah, Over the Edge. Um, uh, some other punk rock films from that. See, now I'm just remembering the goofy ones. Like, like if you watch like Surf Two, you know, punk rockers are eating fish out of garbage can, even though the Circle Jerks are in it. You know, they're just yeah, like bigger I mean, yeah, than. Yeah, you really didn't have a serious look. I mean, yeah. goofballs. Like. Yeah, what's look the other the one? Between suburbia and Times Square. Yeah. Oh, Smithereens. Exactly. Um, what's the other uh, 80s uh, punk rock film? Oh, um, Joysticks. The punk rockers in that one were walking around going beep, 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 doing video game sounds and, you know. It, it, yeah, it was just ridiculous. Based, and the one bad guy punk rocker is basically giving a blowjob to a joystick. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, as much as I love those films, it's like until Return of the Living Dead came out, you didn't have, like, a serious punk rock film. And then I think after that, there was um, a film about um, New Year's Eve and Fear was in it. The punk rock band Fear was in it. Yeah. And again, he's like chewing through chains, and he runs out and jumps in the audience, and you know it's like really ridiculous. Well, and dudes, that one's a fucked up one. Yeah, but dudes was a little bit later. Dudes was later, but it's still a good punk rock film. But yeah, but no, yeah, I, I mean, mean suburban. I mean, it's like Death Wish 3. Look, all those are supposed to be punk rockers, like uh, the main bad guy in Death Wish 3. <laughs> yeah. He came to the set to do his work with a big-ass fucking mohawk. Yeah. But because the director said, I don't want him to have a mohawk, he shaved his head and painted that strip down his head to have a reverse mohawk. Yeah. Yeah, there was that. Um. I mean, if you wanted, back then, if you wanted punk rock, you had to watch, like, Decline of the Western Civilization, the documentary, you know, and, and, and like you said, Suburbia. Yet, so you would have to watch shitty bootlegs of those. Uh, well, unless you watch Night Flight, then you get to see stuff like DOA. Yeah. Uh, Decline of Western Night Civilization. Flight. For you younglings out there, Night Flight was basically, it was... The you caught it on late night TV. It was showed once USA a week Channel. and USA Channel, and it showed you the bands that you couldn't see. You know, they were they weren't on networks. They MTV when it did come around wouldn't show them. 
Because by then MTV, MTV was doing stole it, all of its shit from fucking Nightflight. Yeah. Yeah, Nightflight. Look that up if you can find archives on YouTube. Look Nightflight up. Well, to get a sense the guys of that time run period. Nightflight had a streaming channel where they have every fucking episode of Nightflight. That I have to check out once I get my computer going. Yeah. I have to look up the old episodes because <laughs> that was my saving grace, you know, horror films and night flight. Oh, God, yeah. I need to do a, I already promised that, but we need to do another show about night flight. Just, <laughs> just the yeah. movies, the music, and everything. It's like, it was like it's imp- night flight was like the early 80s version of the guy in the video store who would say, here's the cool shit. Yeah, everything cool that I knew, a lot of it came from Night Flight. I would go to school the, I would go to school that Monday and tell my friends all this cool shit I saw and all these cool bands that we had to go to the local record store and try to order. <laughs> this was pre-internet. Yeah, do you remember Kurt Cobain talking about it? He yeah. would be like, yeah, we come home early from a gig on Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, Why? We had to fucking see That's, Night Flight. Yeah, to see what cool shit we could find. <laughs> no, I remember as a kid going to um the record stores and trying to find all these bands that, you know, because back then disco was still for some reason popular in the early 80s. And, you know, it was like hard for me to find these. I mean, luckily for me, I was able to get my original Nevermind the Bullock Sex Pistols, my original Dead Kennedys. I had my original cramps, you know, those I could find. But there were so many, especially the European bands, you know. I'd have to, like, find them out on, like, night flight and then go to the record store and be like, do you have a catalog where you could find this? And they would look shit up for me. It got so, I got so annoying. Like, when I walked in, the person on the counter would pull out the catalog before I got to the counter. <laughs> yeah, what's funny is that... Of all of the big scene, pick bands in the West Coast scene about in 85 that were eternally living dead, the only one that wasn't in there was Black Flag. Yeah, and Suicide Tendencies was at the time. They they didn't cover, well, like, a lot of because that was more of the, um, if you if you listen to Diana Cantor from 40 or 5 Grave, because she, she's, you know, was big on the soundtrack, the, you know, she yeah. did the Party Time song, and, um, she talked about the transition. They were the early punk rockers in the West Coast scene. Then all of a sudden, it started switching to the thrash punk. And they kind of felt alienated. Return of the Living Dead, when they put together their um, soundtrack, they were using the early West Coast punk. So a lot of the punk rock, like the Black Flag, the Suicidal Tendencies, even like DOA and stuff, they were considered like the thrash punk. They were left out. Yeah. You know? They wanted to go with what the punk that they knew. And Enigma, they signed on a lot of these early punk bands, which later became Death Rock. Before there was even like a goth scene. It was called Death Rock. People called Bauhaus well, death, uh, goth, but they were actually Death Rock. Yeah. Well, the Cramps were the kid, were the godfathers of Punkabilly. Yeah, Psychabilly later on, Psychabilly. Yeah, but it was Punkabilly uh, or Punk Rock. 
Yeah, back then everything was just called punk rock. Anything that was different that wasn't disco was called punk rock. If it wasn't arena rock where they had big fluffy hair stoned out on their out of their asses doing eight minute solos on stage or disco, it was considered punk rock. You had bands like Suburban Lawns, you yeah. know, that weren't hard. They weren't like jamming guitar. Devo was considered punk rock back then. Yeah. You know, I still consider Devo punk rock, but back then, now Devo is oh. considered electronic or pop band. They were punk rock. Yeah. Well, people were, would be shocked if they looked at the whole thing, New Wave. That was all punk rock bands. Yeah. Well, if you notice, one of the um, graffitis on the car said, New Wave, No Wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In Return of the Dead, that was one of the graffiti on the car because I love the graffiti because it the graffiti in that movie named all the bands that I grew up loving, you know. And stylistically, like the entire urban setting was, I like I said, it's where I grew up. So when I watched that film, I'm like, hey, that reminds me of home. It's the music I listen to, and it's the areas I had to walk through every day to go back and forth to school. Yeah, but they said in Louisville, Kentucky, for some fucking reason. Yeah. Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> which clearly there's scenes where it's completely L.A., you know? Yeah. And with that, we hope you enjoyed your Halloween. We ho- And go watch Joker and any of the other movies that we mentioned. And thank you yes. again for listening, and good night, everybody. Say good night, Fred. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, and good night. <laughs>